0: So I wanted to start off uh, tonight with um, a writing by Wendell Berry, and uh, Wendell Berry said, And the world cannot be discovered by a journey of miles, no matter how long, but only by a spiritual journey, a journey of one inch, very arduous and humbling and joyful by which we arrive at the ground at our feet and learn to be at home. So um, this is what uh, Thich Nhat Hanh teaches all the time. He uses a gatha uh, when he's doing his walking meditation. He would say, um, I have arrived, I'm home. I have arrived, I'm home. And he was in exile for 39 years. He wasn't allowed back in Vietnam. And uh, so it was very meaningful, uh, very important that he could find his home anywhere that he was. Uh, and the Buddha, the last, one of the last teachings of the Buddha was the sutra on taking refuge in the island of the self. And in that sutra, he teaches that we need to be able to uh, take refuge in uh, the Dharma, the practice in our self. So we need to cultivate our practice So we're building this island of peace and serenity in us. And it won't matter what else is going on, no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how chaotic things get, um, that we're able to always come back. It's kind of like every time we do a sitting meditation, um, every time we're inviting our mind back, we're putting down a little trail of breadcrumbs that lead us back to that place to remember how to get back, that we know that we can be in a place of peace and calm so that we can get there no matter what else is happening. Um, And then that's our true home, that uh, he said that we can't be dependent on anybody or anything outside of ourselves uh, for happiness, that we've got to do it for ourselves. He said most of us are looking for goodness, truth, and beauty everywhere, that we keep searching for teachers and uh, partners and friends and uh, thinking that we're going to find that in somebody else. He says the only true teacher is the one that helps us to see it in ourselves, to find that in ourselves. So that's what the practice is about. And uh, uh, one of the things that keeps us there are a lot of things that keep us off balance but one of the main things that keeps us off balance is our mind Um, that we can have uh, uh, I just got done offering a retreat out on Cape Cod and we're in this beautiful space and we're there in silence for four days and uh, uh, people always talk about Uh, When they're doing their sharing, finally, they always mention how interesting it is to be in this perfectly beautiful place. Uh, Somebody's cooking for us. Somebody's cleaning for us. We have nothing to do, nowhere to go, literally. And um, how hard it is to stay there. That uh, the mind is going back home, thinking about something that uh, somebody said, or something somebody did, or something we have to do when we get home or whatever, but we're hardly ever where we are. So, uh, to be able to practice always coming back, coming home, and um, what that allows us to do, when we can develop our mindfulness and concentration, and that's why when we do our sitting meditation, we're trying to be aware of the mind, pay attention to where does it go, so that during the course of a day, we're able to pay attention and say, whoa, somebody just said something, and it triggered something in me. And I can feel my, uh, maybe my anger coming up, I can feel irritation coming up, I can feel strong emotions coming up in me. And then what happens is our emotional brain gets all agitated, the limbic system gets all fired up. And then, if we can pay attention and see that that's happening, we breathe three times. Instead of reacting, we breathe three times. And what that does is by stopping and saying, I need to breathe three times to my belly instead of saying or doing anything right now, because if I say or do something, it's going to cause more suffering for myself and everybody else. So uh, by having the thought, what we're doing is shifting circuits that we go from uh, having the limbic system fired up to down-regulating the limbic system and up-regulating the prefrontal cortex. And what we're actually doing is creating a space between the stimulus and the response so the stimulus might be somebody saying something that's upsetting and rather than jump down their throats and uh, tell them off um, if we can stop breathe get some clarity and be able to choose then we're able to respond in a way that um, Perhaps will cause a lot less suffering for ourselves, and sometimes we don't need to say anything or do anything. Um, but it's a it can be a real lifesaver. It has been for me on a number of occasions. And there's a a quote from some Chinese master um, uh, that he was asked by one of his students um, uh, if you had to encapsulate the teachings of the Buddha, what would you say that they were?" And he said, an appropriate response. And that's um, uh, being able to have enough clarity, because most of our lives we spend trying, like I said, mine was figuring it out, and you know, how am I going to respond? What will I do? If so-and-so does this, what will I do? And (coughs) instead, if we can practice and hardwire in the capacity to just be peace, whenever we can calm our minds and our bodies, we have clarity. And then we don't have to worry about figuring out ahead of time. We can simply show up. And uh, Thich Nhat Hanh says it's keeping our appointment with life, that um, otherwise we miss out on our appointment if our mind's someplace else and our body's here, we're missing the boat. So, uh, uh, being able to respond skillfully. And that's, he also says that a lot of the time, uh, he said, our practice isn't about being comfortable. It's about transforming our unskillful states of mind so we respond more skillfully to life. And that's one big place, as I mentioned earlier, where we differ from a lot of other schools of in that we are an engaged practice. And so um, during the Vietnam War, uh, he and six other monks got together and said, so we can't just stay in the monastery because the country's on fire. And they wanted to be able to help, but to maintain their monastic vows. And so they came up with 14 precepts. All the schools of Buddhism have five precepts that you live by. And they're not injunctions, they're guides, guidelines, really. Uh, but he and these monks decided on 14 precepts uh, that they could live by and be in the world and still maintain their monastic vows and that was the basis of our order. So everybody that's a member of our order practices these fourteen fourteen precepts um, and uh, the first of the fourteen has to do um, with openness and you can see I'll just give read this first one it gives you a little feel for how the war informed his translation of what the Buddha taught. And it says, aware of the suffering created by fanaticism. And, and also, you might want to view this training, um, uh, just be thinking about what's going on in our world right now, and view it through this training and see what you think. Aware of the suffering created by fanaticism and intolerance, We are determined not to be idolatrous about or bound to any doctrines, theories, or ideologies, even Buddhist ones. We are committed to seeing the Buddhist teachings as guiding means that help us develop our understanding and compassion. They are not doctrines to fight, kill, or die for. We understand that fanaticism in its many forms is the result of perceiving things in a dualistic and discriminative manner we will train ourselves to look at everything with openness and the insight of interbeing in order to transform dogmatism and violence in ourselves and in the world." So um, I don't know if that makes sense in terms of, um, we're living in a time where there's a lot of divisiveness and um, uh, duality, and it says here, we can understand that fanaticism in its many forms is the result of perceiving things in a dualistic and discriminative manner. So, our practice is to look deeply enough to cut through any kind of um, uh, developing a them and us mentality, that uh, when somebody's doing something that's unskillful or hurtful, uh, it's really easy to, have all of our seeds of hatred, anger, and violence watered in ourselves, um, when if we look deeply enough, we can understand that that person is really suffering. Happy people don't make people suffer. Um, And we don't have to allow anybody outside of ourselves to strengthen our own seeds of hatred, anger, and violence. Because every time we fall into that, that's getting stronger in us. That those things are getting strengthened, and so uh, it doesn't mean that you condone bad behavior, or that you don't do anything to um, stop people from uh, doing things that are hurtful. But we don't have to hate them. That's the difference. We don't have to be angry or hate them. We just uh, do it out of love, and that's further explained in um, the ninth and tenth of the trainings. The um, uh tenth training says that um, uh, the essence and aim of a sangha is the realization of understanding and compassion. We're determined not to use the Buddhist community for personal power, profit, or transform the community into a political instrument. So um, in our community, we don't uh, advocate for any political party or any side. We don't take a side. But uh, then, we're also told in the ninth training, um, we will do our best to speak out about situations of injustice, uh, being a spiritual community, we will do our best to speak out about situations of injustice even when doing so may cause difficulties for us or threaten our safety. So we have, uh, we're encouraged, um, and that's where the engaged practice comes in. So. In engaged practice, it's um, using our sitting and our walking and our mindfulness and our concentration, our deep looking to understand ourselves, develop compassion and understanding for ourselves, so we can move through the world with a little bit of clarity. And whatever action we take can be effective and coming from a place of love for our fellow humans and not hatred for anyone. Uh, that's the challenge. But it's um, uh, a little different. Some, some schools of Buddhism have, are basically focused on indiv- individual enlightenment. And um, because ours is a Mahayana tradition, it, uh, and we talk about the bodhisattva vow is to help other beings. So um, we do our best to transform our unskillful, mind, our unskillful states of mind so we can be of some help to other people. And what happens is if we don't do that, we get caught in our own suffering. That um, (coughs) uh, Franz Kafka said, you can hold back from the suffering of the world, you have permission to do so, and it is in accordance with your nature, but perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering you could have avoided. And this is what the Buddha learned upon his awakening was that a big part of our suffering is caused by our resistance to suffering that uh, we don't want to acknowledge that we're suffering Um, uh, and our first uh, tendency is to either try to fix it in a hurry or to run away from it Um, henry nowen the dutch philosopher the dutch theologian He said let us not underestimate how hard it is to be compassionate compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to places where they are weak vulnerable lonely and broken but this is not our spontaneous response to suffering what we desire most is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or finding a quick cure for it and when i read that i thought that's what we do with ourselves that uh, it's not just about being with other people's suffering, it's about being with our own, that none of us like to go where we're weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. We don't like to acknowledge that, that vulnerability is scary to us. And so we try really hard to either flee or fix it. Um, And uh, uh, in our trainings again, and the reason I'm sharing these trainings with you is because they're beautiful guidelines for uh practice for navigating through uh very difficult <laughs> uh, what is this one that i'm looking for there it is i saw it that talks about being with suffering the fourth training and initially when they came up with the 14 precepts the fourth one was about uh, being with other people's suffering, how we need to be available for other people. And um, they revised these probably about 10 years ago, and Thich Nhat Hanh says, we really have to change this because it needs to be. we need to deal with our own suffering first so we can be available for other people's suffering. So the fourth training says, aware that looking deeply at the nature of suffering can help us develop understanding and compassion We are determined to come home to ourselves to recognize, accept, embrace, and listen to suffering with the energy of mindfulness. We will do our best not to run away from our suffering or cover it up through consumption, but practice conscious breathing and walking to look deeply into the roots of our suffering. We know we can realize the path leading to the transformation of suffering only when we understand deeply the roots of suffering. Once we have understood our own suffering, we will be able to understand the suffering of others. And so um, when he talks about we have to get to the root of the suffering, um, most of us like to stop at the surface of the suffering. Uh, I'm suffering because my boss is a jerk, (laughs) and we just let it go at that. Uh, Instead of looking more deeply to maybe understand that perhaps our boss brings up all kinds of mental formations uh, that. Habit, energy and conditioning that we had because there was somebody in our life that was very similar to our boss that triggered all of that in us that didn't treat us very well or whatever. But the more that we can understand, the less we have to get thrown off balance by uh, anybody or anything outside of ourselves. Um, But to look to the roots of the suffering and... um, We've all been conditioned since the minute we were born, and before then we've ancestral conditioning, but uh, we've developed habits of mind and habits of perceiving the world. We look at the world through a certain lens. It's been conditioned powerfully. And um, it's really fascinating when we start really practicing and looking deeply at, wow, on the stories I make up um, to explain things, to explain my life, to make sense out of things, to have a beginning, middle, and end of things. Um, And uh, at one of the retreats that I offered, I remember a woman coming in, and uh, she was afraid to be happy. Um, She was convinced every time she got really, really happy, something awful would happen. And so she really didn't want to get too happy kind of kept a lid on her happiness. And when you look at this, and, and this is the part that's really fascinating too, is we can look at other people's mental formations and it's pretty clear where they get caught. It's pretty clear what the root of the problem. Thich Nhat Hanh says, if you look at any difficulty, if you look to the root of it, you find there's a misperception. And in this case, there were a number of them, but um, if you can look at this belief system, story that we make up it's as if i were to say uh, oh uh, i wore blue socks and i passed that exam so every time i had an exam i've got to wear blue socks i make a connection between things that really don't have much to do with each other but i make up the story so she made up the story that because i'm happy bad things happen and what she was missing out on the misperception was that life was happening it had nothing to do. It's kind of like one misperception is, well, it's my happiness that controls the universe. Uh, you know, uh, I need to keep a lid on my happiness and do the world a favor so that nothing bad happens. <laughs> uh, that's what we do. I mean, we really have this illusion that you know, we're, we can be delusional. I can remember years ago, I was in a car accident and I was on 195 up in Providence. Uh, I had just pulled up onto 195, it was rush hour cars were stopped, I stopped, and the truck behind me had no brakes and just plowed into the back of my car. So there I was standing in 195 without a car. And I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. You're supposed to have a car when you're here. And um, it was hysterical because, (laughs) yeah, you see the humor in it for sure. Especially (laughs) there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was just so bizarre. And then, the part that was so pathetic in retrospect it's really funny in retrospect at the time it wasn't funny but in retrospect it is because the first thought in my mind was oh if only i had left work 10 minutes earlier i this wouldn't have happened and so it was like i was kind of tele, uh, telegraphing to all these people dr- driving by seeing this woman without a car on 195 that you know you mistaken me for somebody who wasn't <laughs> in control of the world. Uh, I really, I could have left court ten minutes earlier, and nothing this would have happened. You know, it really. Where was your car? Pardon? Where was your car? Oh, the car was there, but I had to get out of the car. Oh, I'm sorry, Yeah, it was <laughs> just wrecked. It was just a mess. <laughs> so, um, uh, but there I was standing there, and you know, it just you know when there's an accident, uh, things get really bizarre. So, um, it was really. Uh, an interesting experience, and it was just so, you know, another pathetic attempt to feel that we're in control of things, that we're not in control of, That, um, and that's true of just about everything in, in reality, and so part of our practice is getting very comfortable with not knowing. We don't know what's going to happen, and in our culture, we'd like to, we've been conditioned to think we need to get the right answer, and we need to know uh, things. But when you can rest in not knowing, it makes everything more interesting. It's like, uh, wow, who knows what might happen. And leaves infinite options open, which is kind of nice, Um, once you get over the terror of feeling (laughs) out of control. Uh, It's really fun, really. Um, So I think that uh, the whole idea of being able to deal with our suffering and not running away and not being afraid of it. Uh, Thich Nhat is like we need to embrace it, any kind of difficult emotion, like a mother would a baby. That it's like you have a crying baby, and you need to look deeply and see what does it mean? So, you know, does it mean a diaper change? Does it need to be fed? Does it need what that means? If you don't do that, the baby screams loud. And so sometimes we just get a sense, and this is what, when the Buddha taught the Four Noble Truths, he taught that suffering exists, there are causes of suffering, there's a cessation of suffering, and the way out is the Eightfold Path. Those are the Four Noble Truths. And suffering, in Sanskrit, is dukkha. And dukkha is translated directly as being unsatisfactoriness. And when I learned that, it was such a relief because I said, oh it's only my opinion. Unsati- who says it's unsatisfactory? Here I am saying, oh, the universe is making a mistake. Uh, this is really not satisfactory. Things should be working out differently than they are. And what the Buddha recognized upon his awakening was it was that uh, aversion to what is, our resistance to accepting uh, what is, that causes a huge amount of suffering. How much, how much of our life we been resisting? I want things to be different than they are. I have an idea of what my life is supposed to look like, and this isn't it. And so therefore, I'm going to be unhappy. Um, you can be. And Nhat Hanh says, when we have a definite idea of what happiness looks like, we're have doomed. Because we can have a thousand opportunities for happiness knocking at our door, but because they don't look like what we think happiness looks like, we're not open to them. And I had a perfect example of this not too long ago. Um, I had a friend who was Downsizing, clearing out things, and whatever. And uh, she said, "I just can't believe I can't let go of these things. There are so many things that I have this attachment. I just can't let go of old journals and things like that. And I said, "Well, you know, what is it that keeps you holding on to them? You know what is it that you uh, uh, feel is at the root of it?" And she said, "I feel like it's not complete that things need to be completed." And I said, well, what would that take? And she said, "Um, a complete redo of my life. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, whoa. And so we talked about that a little bit. And again, it was um, uh, that her life had not worked out the way she had envisioned it. And so she was clinging to this ideal of what she thought it should look like and creating so much unhappiness for herself. And when we can accept the fact we all come into the world with certain challenges. I don't care how much money you have, I don't care where you live, I don't care. We all have different sets of challenges. It's just the way life works. And um, we need to be able to accept it all. And I've talked to some of you before about the fact the Buddha taught um, the vicissitudes, that you have praise and blame and loss and gain and fame and disrepute. Um, all of the things that appear to be opposite when, in fact, they're all just part of life. We look at them all. This is where you get into that first training about the dualistic view, discrimination and dualism. When you start looking at things, there's a good and a bad, and a right and a wrong, when in fact um, suffering is not bad. We've just decided that it is. We've decided it's unsatisfactory and um says who me it's all in my opinion when i can accept like i keep saying that i really wish somebody at my birth would have given me this list of the vicissitudes and said this is what life looks like get with the program that you're going to experience all of this in your lifetime so that we don't resist the stuff that's difficult when difficulties arise we say yep right now this is difficult and knowing it's impermanent and knowing that there is joy in the midst of suffering i've had incredible suffering in my life and in the midst of it i've been able to experience joy so i speak from experience i know it's possible um but as soon as we're convinced that no (laughs) i know what my life needs to look like this isn't it and i can't be happy we're doomed to unhappiness um when we can let go and saying, wow, it's just like I remember years ago, I had a very good friend who was single, and uh, she would get upset around the holidays and say, oh, I dread Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's coming, and I'm going to be left out again, and I won't have anywhere to go, and I won't, you know, and she would just be totally beside herself, and I said, have you ever invited anybody to dinner for Thanksgiving? (laughs) She was like, no. She was waiting to be invited, and so she got the idea to have dinner, to cook dinner, and invite people to Thanksgiving. And she had a house full of people for Thanksgiving. It was not that big of a problem. But when we have decided that no, mm, I don't live kind of an Ozzy and Harriet life, and my family doesn't look like a Norman walk- Rockwell painting, then there's something wrong, I'm doing it wrong, yeah. and uh, I need to suffer. So this is the beauty, of I feel, I feel it is anyway, for me the beauty of what the Buddha taught was uh, to be able, to, again, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva, of great understanding with that sword that cuts through illusion, uh, that helps us to cut through the surface of things to see where we're caught. That, wow, it's just my idea of what this should look like, and what kind of options and opportunities do I have if I let go of this story about myself? Um, we limit ourselves so much and it's the path of uh, liberation. We can be free. So, um, in the times in which we're living, like I said, I just thought I would offer um, these uh, few trainings tonight. Uh, And like I said, the the 14 trainings are available at any one of our monasteries online. If you go to park monastery or plum village or anywhere they have copies of the Fourteen Trainings, and to me they're just such great reminders i read through them and i think oh yeah uh, there is a way out of this uh, this dilemma that i'm uh, stuck in and at a time like like i said we're living in a time where things are so divided and uh, people choose up sides you know, right now we're doing the Supreme Court thing, and people already decided. They have, they're in the middle of supposedly deciding, but they, everybody's decided. Um, so uh, we're really powerfully conditioned to um, be attached to our views. And um, it really causes war. That's one of the, that's why, like I said, all of these trainings, are the product of Thich Nhat Hanh looking deeply at the causes of war. And uh, he's giving us helpful hints as to how to not create wars in ourselves, how to not be at war with ourselves, because um, uh, what happens is we can let go of one habit um, and then get another one right in its place. I remember that uh, when I first started practicing, I uh, realized that I had been raised in a place that was very judging and critical. I had people in my life that were very judging and critical and I had taken that on. And um, uh, when I first started to practice and I saw through that, And I could see that it didn't have much to do with me, it had to do with the people that were suffering, the people that were being judging and critical, were really not happy people. And uh, that was the misperception that was at the root of it. But it was also um, really funny in a way to me that when I had this insight, the next thing I was thinking was how guilty I felt about having been so hard on myself for 40 years of my life. (laughs) Do you love it? that's the mind right i'm not used to being happy i've got to figure out a way to keep myself stuck and so i'll just feel guilty about having been so hard on myself and luckily i it didn't take me long to see through that one and i thought wow this would be really outrageous this would be so ironic. If I've spent 40 years being stuck, and then I spend the next 40 feeling guilty about having been stuck for 40, <laughs> that would really be nice <laughs> You know, I need to really uh, get myself out of this one. So when we can really rethink our relationship with suffering, when we can see through and see that it's always impermanent, it is impermanent, and uh, uh, the resistance to suffering causes more suffering than the suffering itself by far, um, we have to develop courage to do this practice. It really does require some courage. Um, and like I said, to be in those places, those vulnerable places in ourselves, and be able to be honest with ourselves and each other. Um, every human being, I mean, it's was, it was so wonderful to come to a place, Wendell Berry said it's very humbling, arduous and humbling and joyful. And the humbling comes when we recognize we have everything in common with 100% of everyone that um, in Buddhist psychology we have a stored consciousness that stores all of our experience and all of our mental formations. We have the seeds of anger and hatred and love and kindness and everything. We have the potential for everything. It depends on what things get well nourished. That's what manifests in our mind consciousness. So, to me, that was wonderful news because those things, the most unwholesome seeds, had been well nourished in my consciousness. And then it was up to me to make a point of keeping my mind in a place to nourish all the highest investments in uh, And we can do it for ourselves, which I love. But um, to be able to see through it and not, not resist any of it, and just accept it all as being part of life. So I just wanted to end with a poem. And this one is by uh, William Martin. And he said, love is the basic energy of life nothing can stop your love from growing because everything is fuel for its fire. Like a tree that bends easily in the wind, it accommodates to the natural events of life and does not become overwhelmed. It uses the times we call good to fashion dances of joy. It uses the times we call bad to create the depths of our compassion. Nothing is wasted, nothing is lost. So it's the goodness of suffering that uh, as long as we're learning something and as long as we can use it to expand our capacity for compassion for ourselves and other people, we can love ourselves and everybody. JoanneFriday.com is supported by donations. If you'd like to contribute, visit the donations page on joannefriday.com.